I'm going to read in a moment from Psalm 127. Because we have three different brothers who are going to unpack those five verses for us. First up, we're going to have Eric Correa, who's newer to the Brook in terms of calling the Brook home, but he's not new to the Brook family. In fact, uh, he's been here helping us out even before the Brook launched in 2013. He's a dear brother, a former pastor of the Legacy Christian Fellowship. Many of you know him by face or know him personally. It's going to be a blessing to hear from him. Then we'll have our brother Bruce Olson, uh, the Moses of our church family. Uh, Bruce Olson is going to be unpacking the word for us. Uh, if you don't know Bruce, you've got to know Bruce because he's one of the elders at the Brook, but truly just a man of God who loves people. And then after that, Edgar Valentin, a brother who's been with the Brook for over five years, is going to be uh, just running anchor for us here as he brings God's word. Uh, Edgar has served in so many capacities at the Brook from the worship team for helping with uh, start the baseball league to teaching with the Brook youth uh, to giving us that liaison to serve and love Locke Elementary School. So, look, you guys are in for a real treat. This is going to be a blessed morning. And I'm going to read Psalm 127, the passage that we're going to be diving into. Wherever you're at, would you stand to your feet and meet me in the book of Psalm, chapter 127. The book of Psalms is straight in the middle of your Bible. So if you just take your Bible, open it in half, you'll probably find yourself in the book of Psalms, Psalm 127. I'm going to read the first five verses. This is what God's word says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, can you say he? he. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Amen. Behold, Children are a heritage. Can you say heritage? heritage? They're a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father in heaven, I pray that as our brothers come and open your word, that you would speak through them with power, with passion, and with persuasion. And Lord, I ask that they would be your instruments to shape and mold all of us, God, to be the kind of people you want us to be. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen, amen. Hello, Brooks family. It's such an honor to share with God's word with you all today. And what a day it is, amen? Father's Day, what an amazing day. You know, today many of us are gonna celebrate our fathers, men who've uh, really done all they can and to be all they can be, right? As true providers and protectors as they've raised many of us to be men and women, in the faith even. Man, but also I, I just, I know for other of us, we, we, you won't be celebrating dad in that way, not the dad that birthed you because they weren't the ideal father. I mean, maybe they've left, maybe they've done you wrong. Uh, and in those cases, today might not feel so great. And for you, I just want you to know that, that God hears you, he's with you, and his word says he is a father to the fatherless. And the church's call is to care for the widows and for the orphans. And so we praise God for many of those who stepped up in those places to be dad where other dads aren't present, amen? Yeah. I hope everyone today can really say that there's someone to celebrate today uh, by God's grace. Amen. And for others like myself, maybe, maybe you've lost that. 
right? I lost my dad four short years ago, and I, I can tell you it's, it's, not, it's not all that easy. I, mean, I can tell you as a dad myself, as a father of two uh, beautiful children, EJ and Soli are watching at home. I love you guys. Um, but man, even as dad who lost dad, sometimes it's, it's not so easy to celebrate. Man, I tell you what, my dad was a great dad. He himself lost his dad when he was only 12 years old. And so with an immigrant mother and three sisters, he had to learn how to be dad really quick. I mean, he had to learn how to provide quickly at a young age. And he taught me the importance of providing financially and how, and how to work a job and how to put a, a, a roof over your family's head and how to put food in your family's mouth. But what he really didn't teach me was, you know, how to throw a baseball or how to pitch a tent or how to start a campfire because, you know, he didn't really have time for those things. And also, no one taught him those things. And I, but I remember when I was 13 years old, my, pam, my, my family, like, my, my parents, they, they wanted to move us out of the neighborhood because, you know, the gangs were taking over. So at least so that's what they told us. You know, not to mention that they wanted a nicer home. Uh, they wanted to be in a nicer neighborhood. I mean, the truth is we wanted nicer things. And the thing is, my dad, he worked so much that he never really spent that much time with me. I mean, other than for, for the vacations, and, and I'll tell you what, man, those are some of the best memories of my life, those vacations. My dad, he, he drove a CTA bus, he, so he worked five days a week, long hours, and then he shot videos and did photography on the weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, so really he worked seven days a week. I mean, he basically worked all the time, and that's how he knew. He, he did the best that he could, he do the, did the best that he knew how, but actually, and unfortunately, it tore my family apart. Why? Because of this thing called vanity that we see in today's text. And it's this thing that Solomon's talking about, right? He's talking about this thing called vanity. What is this word vanity? We, I, we don't use it commonly in our everyday English language, right? But before we get to that, let's talk about Solomon, the person who wrote this, this text, this Song of Ascent. Um, the short version is this. Solomon, he was the son of King David, which means that he's, he's really the new king. He's a, the heir to the throne of Israel, and God's granted Solomon to be the wisest person to ever live. So with Solomon's wisdom, he decided to do a test study, right, on, on this thing we call life. And what he would do is that he would document this test study, all these experiences that you could experience, all the experiences that you could ever imagine, right? And, and let's be honest, many of us, like we, we wanna know what it would be like, right? Like only if we had everything, right? Only if we had enough wisdom, enough money, enough time, right? We're always looking for more time. We've had plenty of that over the course of the last couple months, more energy or more recess sources. What if you had all those things to experience everything you can? I mean, come on, I mean, our minds wander, right? Don't, don't they? I mean, really, I mean, like if you ask yourself, what if I could upgrade my job, my house, my backyard, my lawn, hello? I know I'm talking to you, things that we've all been doing during quarantine, right? What if I could, you know, I mean, really, I mean, what if I could, man, what if I could party like a rock star? Would I be satisfied? I mean, think about it. Like, what if you could upgrade to the point to where there were no restrictions? Would you be happy? Because that's exactly what Solomon did. I mean, he literally did this, and he documented his experience for us. And, and most of his results are found in the book of Ecclesiastes, which are in the Old Testament, right? Or another book called the, the, the Songs of Solomon. That's for another day. Um, but some of his other findings are right here in this psalm, in this text. So now Solomon, now we're talking about a guy that... Uh, who's basically done it all, right? And so, again, for us, we want that nicer house, nicer yard, um, and if you're like my parents, a nicer neighborhood. But Solomon's the kind of guy that if he wanted the thing, he would just buy the thing, right? And then he would, he would just task his servants with making it however he wanted it, right? And, and so um, Solomon took as much time as he humanly possibly could to enjoy all these things. And then he wrote down his conclusion. His conclusion was found in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he actually says it this way. He says, all is vanity. 
There's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be, and what has been done will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. So his conclusion is that all is vanity. This word vanity is direct, directly translated meaningless. All is meaningless. Man, if only my mom and my dad knew what Solomon was today, saying in today's text. And look what he says in verse 1. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Many of us, how many, how many of us? Many of us are working really hard to build our houses, to build our homes. We're building them up to be the ideal homes for ourselves and for our families. That's most of us, right? But ask yourself, is the work meaningless? Look what he says in the next verse. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. How many of us are watching over our families, right? We're doing all the work we can to care for and protect them. But is the watching meaningless? Look what he says next. It is in vain that you rise up early. It is in vain that you go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I mean, think about it for you. What does it look like to continue this grind every day? And then honestly, in your best effort, you're grinding, you're grinding, you're grinding. Maybe some of you are working what feels like seven days a week for years. You're building up your house only to take that short moment, right? That one week from all the work that has been done to take that staycation, to enjoy that, or to take this, the vacation, right? I mean, you've worked so much, you barely slept only to enjoy that one week to get what? Right back to the grind to do it all over again, right? It's tiresome. And, and many of you, I mean, if you're not fooling yourself, that staycation was really nowhere near as enjoyable as you had hoped it would be. And in the end, was it meaningless? I mean, all those renovations that we've done during quarantine and all the decorating, your, your living room, your dining room, your kitchens, our backyards, was it meaningless? Was it in vain? Man, the truth is, if, you, if you're reading this section of the text, it would actually leave us really hopeless. If not for what Solomon says in this last phrase, look what he says. For he gives to his beloved sleep. But how does God give sleep to his beloved? And we'll ask it this way. What's the point? After all this hard work, hours and days and weeks and months and years and doing it all over again. Like, what's the point of building up my home if the time spent to enjoy it is fleeting? The real question is, how does God give value to all that is vanity? Well, he sent his son to do the work. And so now if we go back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, they were given the task of what? Building a garden. Building their home, multiplying their home. Their family was supposed to be fruitful and multiply, right? And until they rested, well, they didn't really rest in God's work, right? And, and what happened was when they were challenged in their own way of thinking, they thought to themselves, and I'm totally paraphrasing here, but they basically thought, like, how can I build my home? How can I build my kingdom to my glory? in a way that glorifies me. And when they did, they took of the fruit which God told them not to eat, bringing sin and death into the world, fracturing the home. And every home that would come thereafter would be fractured. And that's what we're dealing with, right? And ever since that day, building the home would come by, as the word says, the sweat of the brow, and that their rest, their sleep, would be fleeting. And why? Because God didn't build that home. We did it without him the bread of anxious toil, and it became vanity but God. God sent his son Jesus, perfect and whole. He came to build a home that man couldn't build. He came to do the work that man couldn't do. He gave up his rest. He gave up his sleep. 
when he's left his throne to come to live, to work, to sweat, to bleed and die in our place. And his work is not in vain. He who was of infinite value became sin and took our vanity on the cross. And in doing so, exchanged our vanity for his infinite value. Praise Jesus for the cross. See, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And our, our father, this is Father's Day, right? Our father sent him who was beyond the sun to save us from the vain work of this world. And three days later, he rose. He ascended into heaven and he took back his throne. He is today seated at the right hand of the father of the father in glory. And in doing so, he leaves his presence with us. And he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. And he said, I'm with you until the end of the age. You see, his rest is with us because he is with us, which leads us to the concept of value. See, building our house house or our home, this whole concept of of upgrading, your labor is only in vain if, in fact, you're more concerned about these things that you've been building than God's call for you to make disciples. See, be fruitful and multiply, God said. Brooke family, be fruitful and multiply. You see, the thing is this. Your house can expire on you. Your yard can't expire on you. Your living room, dining room, kitchen, bedrooms, like it all can't expire on you. If it expires on you, it's going to expire on you. Now ask yourself, can what you're building live on through others, right? For their benefit and to the glory of God. This is fruitful multiplication. The Great Commission, this call to make disciples is more than just a task that God gives you to do. It's an evidence of his victory that his value was exchanged for our vanity and that our labor, if we're in him, is indeed not in vain. And why? As Solomon says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is the word of the Lord. And the church says, Good morning as well, Brooke family. Wow, I look and think and envision you guys out there. I see face after face. I wish I could start naming names. I see a grandson here. I see a relative there. I see a spiritual son someplace else. I I would love to start naming. I miss you, and uh, like Pastor Eric and we have said, uh, we're longing for the day to get back. It's been a privilege to work alongside of Eric and Edgar and Uh, In the preparation of this, uh, it's amazing God's word, the richness of passages, and just how much. Uh, Eric had two verses. Edgar's going to speak on a couple of verses later. I have one verse for you, and yet it is, you could plumb the depths of that and the riches of that forever. 127, Psalm 127 again, verse 3 has a beautiful phrase that says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. I'm going to just zero in on that one phrase. Can you imagine? Uh, We should take a second and decide what a heritage is. One of the definitions says this. It's a property that you might inherit or that you are going to inherit. 
uh, straight out, it's, it's an inheritance. So take a minute, and what comes to your mind when you hear an inheritance? If I got word today that I had an inheritance from somebody, I am probably going to imagine a rich uncle who has put me into his will, and I got dollar signs all over my eyes. I'm going to think the, of a portfolio of stocks and bonds that's put away someplace, and I can't wait to see the particular amount. Somebody says, no, that would not be my relatives. They don't have that kind of wealth. But what they do have, I remember, is a whole string of antiques and heirlooms, uh, valuable things, possessions. I can't wait to get my hands on that. It's, I'm so glad to hear that uh, grandma so-and-so or uncle so-and-so gave that to me as an inheritance. Take just a minute to think about a non-tangible inheritance instead of a tangible inheritance. What do I mean by a non-tangible? Non the tangible, of course, is those dollars or those antiques or those possessions that you might get. Instead, how about non-tangible? Uh, when my father passed away, and again, as Eric says, I'll put a parenthesis in whether it's a few years, this year for some of you, or many years, there's nothing like a Father's Day to recollect back as to the input of our dads on us, right, or our spiritual dads. When my father passed, people came past in the memorial setting. One gentleman in particular said to me, man, Bruce, I wish I was going to find in my, uh, or, or what you are fortunate to find is that there won't be any secrets with your father. I wondered exactly what he meant about that, and he went on to explain. He said, there's not going to be any kind of uh, appointment books of affairs off someplace that he had secret on your family. There's not going to be gambling debts that somebody's going to be looking to collect. You're not going to go finding in his desk or any place of his possessions anything of pornographic magazines or anything. All you're going to find over these next months and years is a, a record and the example of a man of integrity who lived for Jesus. Wow, that was a whole lot more important to me than any uh, material wealth. When my wife's father died, not a great deal of material wealth either. Instead, a legacy or an inheritance of church plants because he had been a missionary in Mexico and several churches had grown up because of his influence and his love for Jesus. And people, even to this day, that we will find or meet or will reference Senor Cori and the impact. What an inheritance. There's another um, definition for inheritance. It says this, an inheritance is a special or individual possession. I especially like that one related. Think about special, unique, one of a kind. Uh, when we think of our children, without a doubt, they are. Kind of like that fingerprint or that snowflake that God made one of a kind and he tossed away the model, tossed away the mold. Your children are like that. And that's got some pretty important implications for us as we think about those unique or individual special children. Some that come to mind, do you know your child's personality? Do you know them in, intimately, and are you taking time to cultivate and get to know your child that, as that unique one? You've got two or three or four children. 
you know them individually. We talk about the love languages. Have you taken time to find out the love languages of your kids? Are you helping them? The one that wants to pursue perhaps academics or another one that pursues uh, the, the, the arts or drama or sports, whatever area, are you kind of shoving them into a mold of expectation that you had of what you wanted to be or what you wanted to do or are you allowing your child to become their own unique individual person. How about spending a lot of time, the whole quality versus quantity. I heard a neat story about a dad who went fishing with his son. He wanted it to be a special trip. They went all day, they didn't catch any fish. The dad has a little tiny journal and he drops in the journal a note that says, full day of fishing, thought I was gonna really make Billy feel great. We didn't catch a single fish, what a waste. The little boy, in the meantime, the father happens to stumble on the son's journal 10 years later. Son writes in his journal, spent all day fishing with my dad. This, uh, and, and it was the best day of my life. Quantity versus quality time. Should go without saying, it should go without saying, but uh, hopefully, as Christian dads, we have, uh, a strong desire and a strong resolve to have scripture and the Bible as our playbook, our owner's manual, our how-to for raising our kids. Don't do it on a wing and a prayer with everything else. Do it with the example of God's word and your child knowing your love for scripture. As I think about all of those things of the individual raising and training of that special heritage, whether that's your two-month-old baby, and we've got some of you out there with those newborns, whether that's your preschooler, whether that's those of you, I can picture the graduates of this past uh, week and every phase and age and stage of your unique heritage from God child, uh, it might help, it always does, to go to scripture and see if there's any examples. So I started looking at some dads First one, interestingly, that came to my mind of all people was Manoah. You get extra credit if you even know whose dad he was. Manoah happens to be Samson's father. What happened is there was an appearance from an angel or a man of God, an appearance of an angel, and he tells uh, them that they're gonna have a child. Manoah makes a very fascinating statement and he says, uh, Oh, that the man of God please come again to us and teach us what we are due to do to raise this child. Fascinating. Get some advice on how to raise our children for Jesus. Job is unique. He's got seven sons. He's got three daughters. Apparently a very close-knit family. Scripture says straight out that they had lots of feasts, lots of parties. And here's Job, instead of just attending or saying, my kids like to hang with each other, he says this, I need to give regular burnt offerings for all of them and cry out because, Job's quote, it might be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Interesting. Are you praying for the parties that your kids go to? Are you praying for the activities that they are a part of? Are you crying out on behalf of them for all of their events? We know very well the story of Israel, or the father of Joseph. He flat out says in scripture, 
that Joseph was his favorite. It elaborates on why that is, but he decides to give him uh, his own special coat. His brothers hate him, resent him. We know of how God uses it, but the example that we maybe should learn and see from Israel is watch very carefully that you're not playing favorites or that your children perceive you as having favorites from one child to the next. Abraham does a, a really neat thing that I love. He literally says, I do not want to find or I can't find a wife for my son Isaac among the people near me. I'm sending back, sending a servant on behalf to literally arrange a marriage to find a wife for Isaac, which begs the question of how are we helping to uh, the influence of, of uh, our children? Are they important enough? What do we do with them? Uh, one of the things that somebody put on my heart long ago and to the chagrin of my son-in-laws, uh, it became interviews and uh, times to uh, check them out if they were gonna date and be serious about my daughters. Uh, what's our role that we play? I love this one and have to put it in. Elkanah is the father of Samuel. Samuel, Samuel's mom, Hannah, knows that he's going to be dedicated to the temple. So she has no reason one year to go up to the uh, temple when Elkanah's going for, for uh, sacrifices. Elkanah makes a very uh, interesting statement. He says, do whatever seems best to you. Do whatever seems best to you. Wow, as I studied this passage and went through, that one cut my heart because I literally paraphrased that way too many times in the raising of my heritage, my children, with my wife. I can hear many times echo, ah, whatever you want to do with that situation. Dads, an exhortation, don't let your wives do all the heavy lifting when it comes to raising your kids. Don't be an Elkana and step aside. One last one that I have to mention, of course, is spiritual father Paul and his relationship with Timothy. He loved that young man like a son. He calls him my child throughout First and Second Timothy. And he says in that passage, every time that he calls Timothy uh, up for some kind of responsibility or sending him back to speak to the church, you can just see how he has built into that young man's life. Praise God for the spiritual dads that we've got in the Brooke family that love and challenge those young Timothys. All of us need to look for more young Timothys. So here's the deal. I got some insight from those scriptural dads. But the truth of the matter is my children are a heritage, whether it's my biological children, my grandchildren now, some spiritual sons that I might have, really comes time to identify and to think and to pray and to consider and to think of what is my role? What do I want for them? Just like a good school teacher, I was told this many years ago, said, boil your uh, classroom, classroom rules to several. Don't have a, a list of 10 or 12. Well, I have tried to boil my list or my priority of top things that I want for the spiritual heritage of my children that God has entrusted to me. First and foremost, I want their salvation. And we can't take it for granted, dear brothers and sisters. You know, 
Your kids have to make their own personal decision, but you can provide the opportunities, whether it's having them in church, whether it's taking time with family devotions, a one-on-one -on -one talk with your son or daughter to let them know that you long for them to know Jesus. Lots to say about that, but take it seriously. Second thing that I desire, I want Christian spouses, I realize, for my kids. God in his great, great, great mercy, provision, and sovereignty somehow favored so that my four children have Christian mates. This day and age, I can only begin to imagine the difficulty, the struggle, the, the anguish of trying to raise kids when we're going in different directions. It's hard enough when uh, parents, moms and dads, husbands and wives are going in the same direction, but I desire Christian spouses. The third thing that I would desire is a love for God's word and a deep, deep, deep uh, pursuing of his word as being central to my kids' lives. Psalm 119 says it so perfectly. Your statutes are my heritage forever, the joy of my heart. I don't know about you, but that's what I want my kids to have as the blueprint for their life and their love for scripture and their desire to pursue it. I came up with a fourth. I have two more to share with you. My fourth one is that my children would somehow follow the admonition of Matthew 6:20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. More simply put, you've heard the phrase, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I want my kids to be thinking of investment again in people and in souls and in things that bring God's glory. Those are the things that are gonna last for eternity, not some of the things that Eric referenced of all of our possessions and degrees and so forth, as wonderful as it is to have those things. And number five really came to me, I think in terms of these last months and even this last season for all of us in the United States. So stressful, so many changes, such upheaval and roller coaster of events. Um, we could name them all, we know what they are. Even in this past week or so, Supreme Court rulings. The thing that I want my children to know is based on 1 Peter 2:11. I want them to see themselves as strangers and aliens and sojourners in this world. Earth at best is a cheap hotel and a short stay. I want them to recognize the importance of living and thinking and desiring uh, the kingdom and being with God. I've got a story of probably perhaps the person that most uh, instilled in me the idea that children are heritage and that God has a spiritual heritage for us uh, that kind of ties that last uh, story all together. So you can't see him, but he's still here to remind you. This is my great-grandfather on the maternal side, my great-grandfather, John Bingson. All right? John Bingson is a little like Job. He's got five boys and he's got five girls, so he had his ten kids too. And his ten children, because of living in a rural area in Nebraska, most of them were kind of close to still the community that I grew up in when I was a kid. 
Christmas Eve was a custom. We would have a, a wonderful Christmas service at our church at 11 o'clock. But prior to that, we made kind of what to me at that time seemed like a little bit of an obligatory stopover at great grandma and grandpa's house. All right, so you can picture that. That's 70, 80, 90 people. Uh, my grandmother and her children, and then the, us. So I'm a 14-year-old kid, to give or take a year or two. And what would happen always in that time is that at some point in the evening, about a half hour before we were to make our way over to church, probably my grandmother, another one of the, the daughters, would literally stand grandpa up. By this time, he's in his 90s, so he's a frail man, but they'd stand him up. All they had to do was make that move of standing him and the room is falling silent because everybody knew grandpa was gonna talk. And he would begin something like this. He wouldn't even say, thank you for coming to honor grandma and me. He'd immediately go to scripture. And later, take a look at this scripture because it's so important to our heritage. He'd begin to quote from memory from John 14. And this is what he would say. In my father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm gonna come back to receive you that where I am, you can be as well. He goes on and he still quoting from scripture and Thomas says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How, do, how can we know the way? And Jesus quotes the very, very uh, important verse from John 14, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father but by me, which goes to our salvation thing. You can put that one in your pocket as you share and ask, tell your kids that there's not many ways to heaven, there's one. Yeah. And so what would happen, Grandpa at that point would look around, I can still see him, somehow he could laser in on each one of us. Or maybe it was just me that was 14 and 15 and he has special concern and it seemed like he's lasered on me. And he said, I'm an old man, I'm gonna be there. And the reality of those verses is gonna be true for me very, very, very soon. But when I'm there, I sure don't want any of you to not be there with me when your time comes. The, the amazing uh, impact of that heritage, his desire, his longing, uh, is one of God's gifts, I think, to me, that has helped to hopefully, in some small measure, help me to uh, imprint that on my own children. Crazily, I have probably more urgency and more sense of that for even my grandchildren now than I did of my own kids. You'll know when you get to be grandparents, it just turns out that way. So uh, don't miss the heritage for those beautiful inheritance from God that your children are for them to one day be with Jesus forever. Good morning, Brooke family, and happy Father's Day once again. Eric and Bruce, wow, those words were truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna try my best to follow along on this path. Um, I'm going to begin with verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read them once again. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. 
he shall now be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. When I read verse 4, and probably many of you as well, we get a vivid image of a strong warrior like a Joshua or a Jonathan in the Bible. Someone who has spent their entire life getting ready for that one moment when they have to release the arrow in the moment of battle. The battle for them could literally be a battle, and for us many times, a battle is not literally a battle with bow and arrows, but more of a figurative battle. This warrior has spent countless hours refining his skill. For some of them, they have spent their entire lives, as I said, for this moment. They have sharpened the arrow, ready and knowing that one day they will have to release that arrow, and they need to ensure that they do not lose that one opportunity to hit their target. For many of you watching, you have probably have heard verse 4 referenced numerous times. And like myself, and for many of you, you have probably heard messages about verse 4 and verse 5 plenty of times. I want to approach verses 4 and verses 5, and specifically verse 4, through the lens that we have our children as children just one time before they move on into adulthood. And we need to ensure that that time that we have with our children, we don't let it go to waste. In 2015, Lin-Manuel Miranda and his hit Broadway show Hamilton exploded onto the American scene and literally took the nation by storm. I was one of them. Uh, the premise of the play is basically it's about Alexander Hamilton, who is a real life person. He is a young orphan immigrant from the Caribbean, moves to the, to the what, then the 13 colonies, eventually the US. He moves here to New York at the age of 16 and rolls in Columbia College and is instrumental in helping the U.S. defeat England during the American Revolution. And he also eventually helps to create and ratify the U.S. Constitution. During the play, there is one song that has captivated audience and still continues to captivate audience, both young and old, and it is called My Shot. The song is basically that. Hamilton describes how he has one shot to rise from obscurity to prominence in the 13 colonies. He knows that one day he is going to get his shot to impress the, the Washingtons of that time, the Jeffersons of that time. And he ensures that he needs to get ready by reading prolifically, by writing prolifically, so that when that moment comes and he is with them, he doesn't lose that one shot. As we look at verse four with the lens of not wasting that one shot, it is imperative that we prepare beforehand for that moment of release. Proverbs 22, which is a, a very famous Proverbs, tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. As parents, we need to instill wisdom, love, joy, peace, and other attributes of the Holy Spirit with the hopes of seeing these attributes in all aspects of their lives. Not only when they are an arrow in our hand, but more importantly, when they are released and are on their own. I know I keep using the words bullseye, and target interchangeably. But what exactly is that target or that bullseye that you have set forth, not just for yourself, but you want to see your kids achieve as well? At the end of the day, what is it that you want your sons and your daughters to remember what you wanted for them? Are they going to remember? I remember my dad always telling me that I need to rise the ranks of corporate America, or I need to be a millionaire, or I need to own a house, or I need to be a business owner. There's nothing wrong with these goals, but they should not be the number one goal that we have set for our children. Again, what is that goal or target 
that we have set or want our children to achieve. In Malachi 2.15, Malachi is referring to marriage when he states, Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? So again, Malachi is referring to marriage. And what is God seeking in marriage? And the response, godly offspring. For those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, our first goal that takes priority over every other goal, regardless of the cost of achieving this goal, is that we see our kids proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And not only proclaim it, but they live a life that bears fruit of this powerful proclamation. Our brother Bruce did a great job enlisting five of his priorities for his children, grandchildren, spiritual children, with his number one priority being that all his children, grandchildren, spiritual children, eventually accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I'm pretty sure that most of us, if not all of us, agree with Bruce's number one priority. Knowing that our bullseye is to see our kids proclaim the goodness of Christ and again, live it out, just as iron sharpens iron, we have a responsibility to sharpen our children so that when they are released, and they will be released, they are of a sharp, godly mind and able to hit the target set forth for them. Verse 5 states, Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with enemies in the gate. We know that God created man and woman with the miraculous ability to procreate from two minuscule organisms. And we see time and time again what a blessing children are in the Bible and in the lives of all of us. The great theologian Charles Spurgeon puts it very simply, many children make many prayers, and many prayers bring much blessing. He also forgot to put the part that many children could sometimes lead to a lot of headaches. Amen? <laughs> yes, we know that children are a blessing from God, but many of you, and rightfully so, might be asking yourself, I don't have any children. So according to this verse, how can I be happy? Or, I don't have children, and I'm very happy. We know that people do not have children for various reasons, which I'm not going to get into. But that does not mean that you're going to live an unfaithful or unhappy life. I have seen people without biological children, and even people with biological children, treat other children, teenagers, even adults, as if they were their own blood and flesh. I'm reminded in how our brother Bruce said of how Timothy and Paul essentially had a father-son relationship for roughly 16 years. And we see it here at the brook, the number of spiritual fathers who have mentioned, excuse me, who have mentored, guided, and discipled other children as if they were their own children. We know that the Christian life, and this is very important, the Christian life is a life of action and of active love. God calls us to make disciples, and once we accept his son, as our Lord, we are adopted as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters into his kingdom. For those of you that are married and have decided not to have children or are struggling in conceiving, reflect and pray on what God has called you to do as a couple, but also as an individual. Who can you bring under your wing and direct and guide them towards the path of Christ? Who is your Timothy? Who is your Titus? Who is your Hamilton? Every year I attend some sort of retirement party or graduation ceremony for my colleagues and for students that I have taught. And when I see kids wholeheartedly and genuinely thank adults for their time, their sacrifice, and their knowledge that they have poured into them during their youth and early adolescent years, 
It reminds me of how important it is to fill your quiver with arrows, either biological or non-biological. There's always going to be people seeking the approval of others, seeking to be loved, seeking to be guided, seeking just to spend time with them. And as the feet and hands of Christ, and as our brother Eric mentioned with regard to the Great Commission, we have a responsibility, as well as as ambassadors of Christ, to love them, care for them, but more importantly, share the good news with them, put them into our quiver with the hope of one day launching them towards the right track. The final part of the verse states that they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. When I read this word and reflect on it, it's sort of what my brother Bruce um, was getting at with inheritance and a legacy. We leave a legacy behind intentionally or unintentionally. No one is ever too old or too young for you to put in your quiver. Think about how many people you have an interacted with throughout your life. For some of you, it could be a couple hundred. For others, tens of thousands. What impression or impact have you left on those that you have interacted with, and specifically more the people that you live life with? What might your coworkers, family members, friends, teammates say about the impact that you had on their lives? How many of them became an arrow in your quiver? At the end of the day, we leave a legacy behind. When we do launch them, sometimes our arrows don't hit the bullseye that we have set forth. Our arrows can break, or worse, we lose them completely. When that occurs, it does not mean that the competition or the fight is over. If anything, the fight has just started. Yeah. Locate your arrow and do whatever necessary to mend the arrow with the hope of launching it again. Yes. Just as God has never quit on us, we too have an obligation not to quit on those who we have put in our quiver. I'm watching a show on Netflix called Alone. It's basically 10 contestants are thrown into the middle of the Arctic Circle, which is in Alaska, brutally cold, and there is a prize of $500,000, and it's very simple. Outlast the other contestants, survive in the wilderness. Long story short, I'm at the episode where there's only four people left. The six people that have gone back home now, for two reasons. They have either brought items and are ill-equipped with the items that they brought, or they have put their guard down and something or someone has come into their camp and destroyed it. We must equip ourselves with the necessary wisdom and application of the word to shape our arrows and launch them towards the bullseye. I want my kids, and this is the point I really want to drive home. I want my kids to remember me, not for the knowledge that I have about the word, but for the application of the word in my life, in their lives, and in the lives of everyone that I've interacted with. At the Brook, we say that prayer in and of itself is not powerful, but the God to whom we pray is powerful and able to hear and respond to those prayers. When you wake up, pray for your children. When you go to sleep, pray for your children. We know that the enemy attacks front, back, left, and right. More importantly, pray with your children. Read the word with your children. Worship with your children. Help others, help the community with your children. There is no better time to help the community than right now. Yeah. Let your kids see how you love, how you honor, and how you serve your spouse so that when they are older, they are also a godly spouse. Let them see you forgive people and the power that forgiveness has in our lives. But more importantly, let them see you ask for forgiveness as well. 
Many times we scold our children out of anger, and when that occurs, ask for forgiveness. A lot of times we think we're always right because we're the parent, and I said so. In all reality, we know that the heart is deceitful, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The other day, let your children and people whom you have put into your quiver say that surely he or she lives by faith, loves God, and has directed me towards the path of salvation. In closing, our work as parents and spiritual parents is not in vain. If we set our priorities accordingly and our inheritance point towards the blood of Christ and redemption that we have upon the acceptance of Jesus yes. as our Savior. Yes. And always remember, I am not throwing away my shop. God, you have shown yourself time and time again to be the perfect model of what a father should be. On this special day that we celebrate fatherhood, may we first and foremost celebrate you, Lord. Celebrate the ultimate sacrifice that you did in sending your son Jesus to die for us. May we be reminded that greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, and we could extend this obviously to our own children as well, God. I thank you for all the fathers here at the brook. I ask that your spirit continue to guide them and inundate their heart and wisdom, with wisdom and with patience and with love, God. So there's an outward overflow of these attributes, God, that are visible to people. I ask for protection over these men as well, God, protection over their spouses, protection over their children, and may we continue to strive towards that bullseye of salvation for our children. For those close to us who don't know Christ, God. Our everyday colleague or our friend or even strangers who need to hear the good news of Jesus. We thank you, God, once again for providing us with that perfect example of fatherhood. And for loving us before what we loved you, God. And with everything that we do, Father, may we be reminded that your son is at the center of it all. We pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.